name's Frank, and this is my first meeting. Hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. I've been clean for 12 hours. I had a close call this morning, though. Hey, you got a uh, pan I can bomb off you? Sorry, I don't. I'm a recovering workaholic. Oh, oh, um, do you mind if I work in front of you? Because I don't have to work, I can work over there. Well, it's okay. You sure? Yeah, absolutely. It's getting out of control. I'm starting to lose my wife's trust. Hey, honey. What is this? It's not mine, I, I swear. Can't do this anymore, Frank. I have a problem. I just can't stop working. Frank, give me the keys. What keys? Frank, come on, you've had too much work tonight. Come on, just like two more hours. Two hours is all I need. You're in no condition to work, Frank. Get in the car, let me take you home. It's past midnight already. I I'm good to work. I can do this. I it's Rock bottom was when I caught my own son. It's simple numbers. Q4 has to be profitable. Or heads are gonna roll. Bye, bye, bye. Sell, sell, sell. I've been desperate. I've done things a respected businessman should never do. You looking for some overtime? Numbers. I gotta crunch some numbers. I need this balanced and returned to me in triplicate. I'm having a hard time performing even the simplest tasks. Oh. It's your carpal tunnel. You've been working again, haven't you? Don't worry about it. It's your wrist. It looks ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> My name is Frank, and I'm a workaholic. Well, Monday is coming. I wonder how many of us could relate to that video. And you know, for some of us, it's not just that Monday is coming. It's like Monday evening is coming, and Tuesday morning is coming, and Tuesday evening is coming. It's like the work never, ever stops. You know, the past couple of weeks, Pastor Todd's been going through this incredible series called Monday is Coming, asking us the question, how can we combine our faith with our work week? Will what happens on Sunday make a difference on Monday? And in the very first week of this series, Pastor Todd talked about how viewing the work week, viewing work in the right perspective and the right theology can really change why we do what we do. In fact, we looked at the wide perspective of what work actually is and why God created it. And again, having that right perspective and right theology can change how we actually view work. And so today, just for a few minutes, as we, as we go through the fourth part of this series, I want to narrow the focus a little bit. In fact, today's message is called Fix Your Focus. So let me start off by asking you a question. Why do you work? Why do you work? Come on, courthouse. Why do you work? Garrisonville, why do you work? Why do you actually get up in the morning, get on I-95, brave the traffic, drive for hours, and even sometimes bring some of that home, that some of that work home with you? What actually drives you to work? 
You know, um, there's a Time Magazine article that came out, of, uh, I think, some time ago, maybe a couple years ago, and it asked that same question. The title of the article is, Why We Work? And it surveyed a bunch of Americans, and the number one reason that many Americans came up with was this, to put bread on the table and to keep a roof over our heads. To put bread on the table and to keep a roof over our heads. So pretty much the answer is, is that we typically work, and why we're driven to work is to get the stuff that we need, but also get the stuff that we want. I think all of us, at least on some degree, would agree with that statement. In fact, I can remember the very first job I had. I was working at Burger King in West Palm Beach, Florida. I was 16 years old. And I remember when working at Burger King, I would work on the Whopper board, which is the line in the kitchen where you make all the customized Whoppers. So every time you make a chain, you take tomatoes off, you cut it in half, you do a double or a triple or add cheese or whatever. I would do all that. So I would work on the Whopper board and I would also clean the bathrooms, not at the same time, obviously. <laughs> And I remember I would come home in, at night. I feel like my skin was just covered in burger grease when the day was over. And I remember I was working for that whopping paycheck of $4.85 an hour as Burger King paid me minimum wage. But I can also remember that the reason why I worked was simply because I wanted to put gas in my car. I wanted to buy as many CDs as I wanted to get. And I also wanted to be able to do things with my friends. So I was pretty much working because of the things that I wanted or the things that I felt like I needed. But I think if the only reason why we're going to work is to simply get a paycheck, when we're pushed back on this question, why do we work, I think it still leaves us a little bit wanting, still really wondering why in the world are we getting up and why are we doing what we're doing. So the Time Magazine article actually even pointed to there's been this, this change in thinking over in, in recent history where people aren't just going to work put a roof over their heads or to keep bread on the table, but they're also going to work for this reason. It's because they're passionate about something. And so people in more recent history, sometimes they'll even give up a career they've had for decades to pursue something that they're passionate about. In fact, one of the ladies that was chronicling in this Time Magazine article, her name is Sue Parks, and she at one point was one of the executives for Kinko's. And I don't know if they even exist anymore, but she, after working for them for many years, making millions of dollars, gave up her position to pursue her passion of walking. So she actually created a business that was, that was, that was formed around her passion for walking. And as she came up with this plan where you can walk and meet people and walk and build um, good health and good, um, good relationships. So she created this whole business around walking. But see, sometimes, too, if, if the reason why we're going to work is because of passion, another question we can ask, too, is what if that passion is fixed or focused on the wrong thing? In fact, have you ever wondered why some of the wealthiest people and some of the most successful people in our culture are also some of the most unhappiest? They're some of the most depressed and even some of the most bitter people in the world. And see, sometimes, even if, even if we are passionate about something, and with some of those wealthy people, we often see that even though they are passionate about what they do, even though they have the ability to put multiple loaves of bread on the table, even though they have the ability to put multiple roofs over their head, even though they are passionate, it still seems like something is missing. So I ask you this question again, why do we work?
Why do you work? You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he addresses this tension that we often feel when that question is asked. And he gives us a solution as to why oftentimes when we ask that question, why we actually go to work, why sometimes it's so out of focus and so cloudy. And he gives us the reason for why we actually go to work and why sometimes there's this tension that comes around the question. And he also lets us know there is this sneaky little enemy that comes around the subject that we oftentimes submit to. Not only do we sometimes submit to it, but sometimes we even worship this sneaky little enemy. And see, this enemy is easy to point out in other people. We can see it in other people. We can see when they're submitting to it. We can see when they're worshiping it. But it's so hard to see it within ourselves. And oftentimes, this sneaky little enemy, not only have we kept it around, but we've actually made it a friend. And see, Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 because he loves us, because he wants to show us just how life-changing his love is, because he wants us to realize that this sneaky little enemy, yes, it has become our friend, and yes, it has thrown the whole focus of why we work out of focus, Jesus today wants to fix our focus. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be taking a look at verse 24. And listen to what it says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus is speaking and he says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. You can almost already feel the tension in what Jesus is about to to teach to this audience that's listening to him. And there's something about when you place restriction that you kind of feel a little bit of, of, of tension in that. You know, as I was preparing this week, I know oftentimes Pastor Todd likes to give us what the original meaning of phrases and words were in the Greek. And here in Matthew, you know, the original um, New Testament was written in, in Greek. So in all the Greek tools I was looking at this week, I looked up the phrase, no one. And this is what the phrase, no one actually means, translated from the Greek. It means this, no one. And see, what Jesus is trying to to, to let the people know, he says, he's saying that no one doesn't struggle with this. No one doesn't wrestle with the tension in what I'm about to teach you in serving these two masters, what I'm about to let you know. He says no one doesn't wrestle, no one doesn't struggle with wrestling with this tension. Everybody wrestles with this. So he goes on to say that no one can serve two masters because... No one can serve two masters because either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What he's trying to communicate to his audience is that whether, whether it was intentional or not, whether they've realized it or not, you, you're going to love one of these two things more. You're going to devote yourselves to one of these two things more. You're going to serve one of these two things more. And there's, there's this tension that rises from that. And whether you do it intentionally or not, when you love one of them more and one becomes a priority more than the other, when you do that, whether it's intentional, whether you've known, whether you've realized it or not, you will despise the other. It will be like you hate the other. It will be like you're rejecting the other. 
So he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot. And again, there's even more tension here. He says, you cannot. And he's, he's about to place a, rest, a warning and also a restriction on us. And see, he's also making it even more personal. He, he started by saying no one, again, which is all inclusive. But now he makes it even more personal. It's not just everyone, but it's you and it's me. It's the individual. He's saying you cannot serve both God and money. Now, depending on what translation you have, oftentimes the word money here is typically translated money. In fact, this is from the NIV. But um, other translations will translate the word money into this word, mammon. And about 50% of the translations translate it one way money, and the other 50% do it the other way mammon. And pretty much what this word means, and it's it's actually more of an all-inclusive word that was used in the first century, and money is actually included in this word mammon. But the word mammon means not just your money, but also your wealth, your possessions, all the stuff that you own. And see, Jesus is painting this picture, and he's, he's, he's painting this idea that when it comes right down to it, when we ask the question about whether or not we work, and also I think, too, in the difference in translation, about 50% translated money, 50% translated mammon, you know, we see that when we actually are, are looking at why we work, why we're driven to work, it's probably for usually one of these two things, either money or possessions. And as I was studying this passage this week, I really got stuck on this very first verse. And, and even in the different resources I was looking up, this one theme kept coming up over and over and over again with this issue that Jesus was trying to address. And even though it's so sneaky sometimes and it's so hard to see, Jesus was trying to address this issue to the crowd he was teaching. In fact, right before this passage, if you read earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is saying things to the crowd like, don't store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust decay. And he's trying to communicate to them that we, we all know that, you know, yes, yes, we do need things. Yes, we do have to work. But we know that if we work for those things, like we know we can't take it with us. We know that eventually it will fade or that it will decay. And so Jesus is trying to communicate to them that, that, that there's also something else as well. And it's this sneaky little adversary. In fact, did you even see it in what we just read? Sometimes it's so hard to see. And Jesus is saying that when you love something, when you love money, when you love possessions, when you love something more than God, that's called idolatry. Now, I'm not talking about American Idol, okay, which there's actually more truth in the title of that show than, than we actually realize. I'm not talking about if you went out today, you went to Lowe's and you got a piece of lumber, you went home and you carved out a little goat thing or a statue of Pastor Andy or anything like that, and you went and you worshipped it. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But Jesus is saying here, like, he, he, he takes this concept that was so well-known in the first century and so well-known all throughout the Old Testament of when you take something, um, and he actually takes these words and he puts them on 
what, what people are seeking. He takes words like devoted to, um, that you love it, and that you'll serve it, and he puts it on possessions. And he's trying to take this idea that sometimes when people do those things, they, they love them, they're devoted to it, they're serve it, that they're treating it like an idol. And specifically here, he's talking about the idol of greed. And see, there is this tension that exists between our God and our greed. There is this tension that exists between our God and our greed. And here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is saying that you cannot serve both. Because when you serve money or mammon or possessions, you are worshiping the idol of greed. But it's such a sneaky little idol. It's such a sneaky little enemy. And especially in our American culture, we've so normalized it. In fact, we really do treat it like a friend that comes over all the time. And the reason why we work so hard for what we do and the things that we get, we just make it okay because everyone else is doing it. In fact, here's a definition of greed that I think might help us this morning. Greed is an inordinate, which means it's almost like exaggerated in our life. Like it's so big, almost uncontainable. Greed is an inordinate or insatiable, which means it's almost like it can't die down, like it keeps rising up in us. It's this insatiable longing, especially for wealth, status, power, or food. And doesn't that just, doesn't that just describe most of our American culture? Doesn't that just describe most of, of, of what happens in our culture? And I think when it comes right down to when we're asking the question, why do we work? Another way to ask it is who are we serving? Is it Jesus or is it money? And I think because we're in church, we would all love to say, well, of course it's Jesus. But is that really true? Because the truth is you will love one, and whether it's intentional or not, you will hate the other. You will be devoted to one, and you will despise the other. You know, in the 14 years or so I've been doing ministry, I don't think I've ever had someone come to me and say, hey, Andrew, I really need counseling because I feel like I'm making too much money, or that I, I feel like, you know, all my possessions are starting to consume me, or that I, I know that the more stuff I'm getting is robbing for what God wants to do in me and through me. And you may even say that, you know, we, we live in this culture of abundance in America. You know, I think we can all at least admit that, that really in America, we really do have more than what we need. And you probably say, you know what, I don't hate God. Come on, that really is a little bit extreme, okay? I don't, I don't hate God. Maybe we do live in a culture of abundance, but I certainly don't hate God. But there is this tension that does exist. Do we need to make money? Absolutely we do. Do we need to put food on the table? Absolutely we do. But if our heart loves material things more, if we put our trust, our hope, and money and possessions more than God, then we are worshiping the God of greed. In fact, I think it's so ironic that on our, on our money here in the United States, we put in God we trust 
when really it should say, in money we trust. There was this 19th century philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, and he wrote this talking about how the value of money is increasing in our culture and the value of God is decreasing. And even though he wrote this almost 100 years ago, he could have written this today. And he said, with the absence of God growing in Western culture, God will be replaced with money. What was once done for the love of God is now done for the love of money. There was a gentleman by the name of John Rockefeller, and he was the first billionaire in America. And he also was around in a very early part of the 19th century. And he was one of the wealthiest people who ever lived. In fact, comparatively, if you were to take his wealth and put it in our um, 2017 culture, he would probably actually be the richest man still living today. And Rockefeller, even though he was the first billionaire in the 19th century, he was interviewed by a reporter. And that reporter asked him a question. She said to him, how much money is too much money? How much money is enough? And John Rockefeller so famously responded, just a little more. Now, you will look at someone like John Rockefeller and think, you know, that, that, that he's, he's a billionaire and he still wants a little bit more. That dude's greedy. But not me. But the truth of the matter is, greed blocks how we really view why we work. See, greed really is easy to point out in others, but it's hard to see that we've made it a friend. So I thought I would give this morning a couple of signs to show that maybe greed just might be a God in our lives. So if you're taking notes, one of the first signs is this is that contentment and satisfaction is a foreign concept to us. That contentment and satisfaction is a foreign concept. And maybe, maybe, maybe the way that you can know that, uh, that greed is a God in, in your life is to look at, if you've been saying things like, you know what, I keep thinking about all the things that I don't have. And you're not grateful for what God's already been giving you. But you keep thinking about, okay, what else can I get? What else do I need? Rather than looking at all the things that you do have, you're complaining about everything that you don't. And contentment seems like such a foreign concept and satisfaction seems like such a foreign concept, then greed might be a God in your life. The second one is that you ignore people that you can afford to help. Now, I know sometimes when we see things like this, we might think, well, well, the, the need is too great. And sometimes our mind automatically goes to all the starving kids in India or something like that. And, and you're right, you know, the, the need is too great, you know, for, for one individual to be able to help all of the people who are in need. But what about the people who are a little bit closer to you? What about the people that you pass on the street corner? What about the people who are in your family or in your neighborhood who are in need? And sometimes we don't even realize it, but one of the reasons why we ignore those people that we can afford to help is because we want just a little bit more. And the third one is that we live without restriction to get what we want. That we live without restriction to get what we want. And so this may be that because, because you feel like, you know, it's your money, like these are my things, my possession, I've earned them. Like you feel like you get to set all the rules for it. 
No one else can tell you what to do with it because it's your money, you make the rules, you own it, it's all about you. And so you're also, because you want to keep getting more and more, it's like you're willing to throw off um, any type of integrity at work because you can get more money. You're willing to sacrifice giving because you want to be able to get more possessions. You're willing to keep swiping the credit card because you just want what you want what you want. And you live without any restrictions because you get to make the rules, because it's your money. Then greed might just be an enemy that has snuck into your life that you're making into a friend. And the fourth one is just like what John Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. This one may be one of the hardest in our culture because we've been so ingrained to think more is better, bigger is better. We need more. We need more. What you have is old. It's lame. You need to keep getting more and more and more and more. And if your garage is full of stuff and if you're buying storage units for your storage units, you may just be worshiping God of greed. And see, I think that most of us, when we really, if we were to really honestly answer the question, why do we work? We would say it's, to, or it's for us to be able to get the stuff that we want and the things we feel like we need. But we would also probably say that the driving factor in why we're going to work is to get more. And see, this tension does exist between our God and our greed. And we will devote ourselves to one, and intentionally or not, we will live a life or communicate a lifestyle that says that we despise the other. Second thing I want you to write down today and to see in this passage is that when greed is our God, attention persists between our possessions and our potential. Attention keeps rising up and it pushes against what God wants to do in, it, in us and the struggle that we have to get more possessions. See, church, you were made for more than stuff. You were made to bring God glory and to make a difference in this world. But when we live and work with money and possessions as our goal or even our God, it produces tension. And see, we think that the more we work, the more things we get, we think we're actually fulfilling our potential. When we feel like we have more, we feel like we're, we're, we're being all that God created us to be. But the truth of the matter is that greed cheapens all that we work for. It cheapens our potential. And more material, more possessions, and more money, man, they'll give a sense of security, but it's a false sense of security. And all it's really doing is producing more anxiety in us. In fact, you may have heard the phrase before, more money, more problems. Man, that wasn't first introduced by the notorious B.I.G. a decade or so ago. It was actually introduced by Jesus in this passage that we're going through today. In fact, in verse 25, Jesus actually introduces the word worry, and it can be translated anxiety or stress. But pretty much what it means is to be over-concerned about. And in this case, Jesus is talking about material possessions, pointing right back to this tension that exists between our God and our greed. In fact, listen to what he says here in verse 25. 
He says, therefore. Now, I always want to encourage you, when you see the word therefore, to circle it, to underline it, to highlight it in your Bible. And you got to ask the question, what is this therefore, therefore? And I've taught through this passage before in Matthew chapter 6, and I've taught through the fact that three times Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Your heavenly Father loves you. He knows what you need. He's going to take care of everything that you need. But for the first time this week, when I saw that therefore, I realized that he was actually pointing back to verse 24. And here the worry that rises up, the anxiety that rises up, the tension that rises up is coming right back to that whole tension that exists between our God and our greed. And Jesus goes on and he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He said, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. He says, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He said, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And what he's saying that worrying in this way, when we talk about our money and our possessions, all it does is actually rob us of what God wants to do in us and through us. You know, all throughout this series, Pastor Todd has been showing this triangle about faith and work. And see, when, when we combine faith and work in the right way, like everything in life seems to work in the best possible way. In fact, when you're, you're driven by your faith, even at work, your identity will rest in Jesus. You know all the things that he says about you. You know what he's calling you to. And because you know who he says you are, you're able to live out, even at work, who he says you are. And not only that, because of what he's called you to, because of what he says about you, you begin to try to integrate that into everything you're doing at work. So you do your work with excellence. You take all these godly principles and you try to express them at work and try to be a light at work. You try to integrate into everything that you're doing at work with integrity, with excellence, with joy. But not only that, when you combine faith and work, it also pushes your influence. And when God pushes your influence, man, he gives you favor with your boss, with your coworkers, with clients and with customers. And when he pushes your influence, all it does is bring more and more glory and honor to to him, to his name. But see, if you take faith out and you put money and possessions in, which we often do, it breaks the whole thing. When you begin to work for money and possessions, your identity starts being found in all the things that you have and the paycheck that you're taking home. So if any of those things gets threatened, you start to feel like the world is attacking you. And what it's doing is building up anxiety and stress in you. When you replace faith and put money and possessions with work, and that's your driving factor. Forget about trying to integrate all that God says about you and all of his incredible principles found in his word. You'll instead begin to integrate, how can I get more? How can I work the system to get more? Instead of having a godly influence, we start to feel like everyone around us is trying to keep us from getting the stuff we want, 
getting more money and more possessions. See, when we let money and possessions drive what God wants to do in us and through us at work, it breaks the whole system. But see, the opposite is true as well. If your identity and security isn't God, greed can't control you with worry. So what's the solution? Because we do have to work, and we all know that sometimes when we decide to serve the God of greed, like it does leave us empty. It still robs us of our potential. And greed puts the focus of work on the wrong things and leaves us broken. But a solution, Jesus starts giving in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. This is what he says here. He says, so do not worry. And this is the third time in this passage he's addressing that tension that exists between our God and our greed. When, when you're wrestling with whether you have these two masters, um, um, you can't serve both God and money. And he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says, for the pagans run after all these things. I see Jesus saying here that this same problem existed in the first century. In fact, people were, were running after all the things that they could get, all the possessions that they could get. And he's saying that people who are far from God, that's what they run after. But that's not who he's calling you to be. That's not what Jesus wants for you. And he says, for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father, he already knows that you need them. But, now I always say, you know, when you see a therefore, to understand what that therefore is there for. But I also want you to understand too that God has some big butts in scripture, okay? Now that's butts with one T, okay? Come on, courthouse, get your mind out of the gutter. Okay, he says, but seek first. That means above all else, above anything else, above what I want, even above what I feel like I need. He says, seek first Andrew's kingdom and Andrew's righteousness. It doesn't say that. The pagans run after that. They're running after what they want, their own righteousness, their own kingdom. That's what they're running after. But Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. See, not only is there there's this tension that exists between our God and our greed, but Jesus gives the solution. And today, the third thing I want you to write down, what if you let God change our focus? What if you let him change our focus on our greed to a fixation on his grace? What if instead of always pursuing money and possessions, even though it seems like it is a goal in our culture, what if we let God begin to kick that sneaky little enemy of greed out? And what if we became fixated on his grace? Did you know that it is in the very DNA of Jesus to be a grace giver? In fact, did you know that if he never gave us anything else, he doesn't need to give us anything else? He's already given us all the grace that we need. 
If Jesus never did anything else besides dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sins and giving us eternal life, we wouldn't need anything else from him. But I love the fact that Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says that he's going to give us, when we put him first, when we fix our focus on his grace, he's going to give us everything that we need. And I know elsewhere in scripture it says too, like in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he wants to give us life to its fullest potential. And not only that, I know elsewhere in scripture it says that God wants to give us immeasurably more than we could hope or imagine. He doesn't even want to just give us everything we need. He wants to give us above and beyond. He wants to bless his children. But God doesn't want the focus to be on his favor. He always wants the focus to be on him. See, when we seek God first, we take that same grace that we've been given and we extend it to others. We take that same grace that God has so generously given us through Jesus and we're able to extend it to others. See, when we fixate on his grace, we can extend forgiveness and even integrity at work. When we fixate on his grace, we honor God with our money and with our possessions and everything that we have. And we, we, we know that you know, we, we got a job and maybe we applied for a job and we, we prettied up our resume and we got accepted. We know that someone you know, signed that approval to hire form, but we also know ultimately it's God who's provided that job. Even though somebody else's name is on that paycheck, we know that it's God that has provided that paycheck. So when we fixate on his grace, we look at every single thing that we get as his. He's generously given to us. How can we keep him first and generously say, God, how can you use these things that you've given me for your glory? Because God, I always want to seek you first. What if we as a church decided to, to, to see that, okay, maybe we have taken green, maybe we're keeping it way closer than we ever intended it to be. But what if we kicked it out? What if we stop focusing our, on our own greed, all the stuff that we want and the fact that we want what we want more than what God wants for us? What if we stop focusing on our greed and we were fixated on his grace? I'm going to ask our worship team is going to make their way back up to the stage. And as they're making their way back up to the stage, I, I know that as sometimes with a message like this, you almost want to just immediately give some pushback. You almost just want to say, you know what, Andrew, be quiet. I mean, we don't want to hear from you anymore. Bring Pastor Todd back. Like, forget all the stuff that we've heard today. But let me just say, like, these are Jesus' words. Like, this is what Jesus wanted for those who love him and who follow him. And I know our culture pushes so hard against what Jesus teaches, but God doesn't want that for you. And we all know it's going to fade. We all know at some point, you know, it's going to decay. So why wouldn't we fixate our lives on something that's so much more valuable? So I thought just for a few moments, I'd even tell you that as I've been going through this series, as I've been going through this, this message today, as, as, as I was even preparing for it, you know, it's, it's been one of the most challenging messages for me to prepare. And as I was going through it, I started realizing, you know, sometimes when, 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 you're, when you're doing like stuff like this and you read scripture and sometimes you start thinking, okay, you know, yeah, that per- yeah, they're greedy. That person's greedy. 
But it's like God started to show, hey, Andrew, okay, it's not just everyone else. What about you? And just, uh, just uh, sometime a little bit earlier this year, uh, my wife and I, you know, I, I gave you this list of how do you know maybe when you're struggling with greed and maybe contentment and satisfaction is a foreign concept. I know I wrestle with that. You ignore people who you can afford to help. Like this one came up this year. And I can remember knowing that, that, I, that we needed to help somebody who was close to us. This wasn't um, something, something far away, which is fine. This is someone who was close to us, and we could afford to help. And I remember my, my wife was telling me to help, and I felt like God was even telling me to help. But you know what? I wanted a pair of Beats headphones. And I had saved up the money to be able to get those headphones, and we had had, like, some major car repairs come up. We had to get our car fixed because they're older and they're falling apart and all these things. And I remember I finally have enough money to be able to get these Beats headphones that I wanted to get. But it's like God, God was like, hey, you need to help this person. And my wife was like, you need to help them. I was like, but I want those headphones. But God was even showing me this week, you think maybe... You think maybe you're worshiping the God of greed more than you're worshiping me. And God had to change my heart even in that moment. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe you maybe you've felt a little tense this morning. Maybe you've even felt a little bit angry this morning. Don't just push past that. Because maybe God wants to reveal something in you. Something that he's not calling you to. But he wants you to forget about focusing on your greed, but instead fixate on his incredible grace. And I thought I'd close today by giving you four ways that you could fix your focus this week. Four things to think about and to pray about this week. So if you're taking notes, here's the first way you can fix your focus. Is that God is to be first. And I know this is one of those things where it sounds so simple, but at the same time, it can be very challenging to the follower of Christ. But I would encourage you to to pray this over your possessions, over your money, over your paycheck, all the things that you've been given. Would you pray, God, how can I use this for your glory? God, rather than thinking about me first, God, I want to make you first. How can I use this paycheck God, how can I use this home? How can I use these possessions for your glory? One of the things I love about the book of Matthew is written by this guy named Matthew who was a tax collector. And tax collectors in the first century, they were some of the most corrupt people on the planet. And you want to know what their number one concern was? Money and possessions. Man, they cheated people, killed people, did whatever it takes to get more money and more possessions. But then Matthew met Jesus. And he went from being focused on his greed to being fixated on the grace of God. And he even opened up his home so that more people could keep hearing about Jesus. So what if instead of using all your possessions for me, what if you started to pray, God, how can I use this for your glory? The second thing you can do is this, is to be thinking less is more. Less is more. And I know in our, our culture, we keep thinking more is more. We push this idea that we need more, bigger is indeed better. 
What if we started to think, you know what, man, God has given me so much. What if we took some time and praised God for all the things that we have as we look to keep him first? And what if you prayed this week, God, what do I need to get rid of? For some of you guys, you had a yard sale this past weekend. The best thing you do is maybe to even have another one. To get rid of some stuff, to say, you know what, this stuff is not going to have a hold on me. So pray, what do I need to get rid of? Or God, what do I need to not get to keep seeking you first? Now, am I saying that you should never, ever get a pair of Beats headphones? No, I'm not saying that. In fact, if you want to liquidate yours and you want to give them to me, like I'll be here after service, you can give them to me. I'll be right down here, down front. But if we keep thinking more, what else can I get? If that's the first thing, what else can I get? God, what else can I add? God, what else can I spend this check on? Without saying God first, without even thinking less is more, God, what do I need to get rid of? What do, God, what do I even need to press pause on right now so that I can help someone else in need? How can I be more generous? The next thing is this. To think stress is bad. To pray something like, God, where is greed trying to hold my heart and stressing me out? And maybe this whole message has made you tense. Maybe it's been stressing you out. Man, this, don't, again, don't push past that. God wants to reveal something to you. He wants to change something in you so you can be everything that he's calling you to be. God, where, where's greed trying to hold onto my heart? God, and where is it stressing me out? And the last thing is this. It's the thing that giving is good. They think giving is good. And to pray, God, how can I give more? You know, one of the biggest tools that God has given the believer to break the chains of greed in our life, to kick that little sneaky enemy out of our lives, to keep us from worshiping the God of greed, is to give. And maybe for some of you, like you, you, you've been thinking, you know what, this is my money, so I get to make all the rules. No one else can tell me what to do with it. Where well, God has told you some things to do with it. And I want to encourage you, if there's one thing that you can do to begin to break the chains of greed, it's to give. And to pray, God, how can I give more? And for some of you, that even means that you need to start tithing. Because you've been looking at the whole 100% and saying, it's all mine. I made it. I earned it, it's mine. What well, if you look at that 100% and say, God gave me all of this. And all he asked for in return is 10%. And he says, I get to live on that other 90%. And I can take that 90% and put bread on the table, keep a roof over my head, pursue my passions, and even get a pair of Beats headphones. Because he's given all of that to me. And because he gives me freedom in that. What if you pray this week, God, how can I give more? Let's pray together this morning. As you have your head down and your eyes closed, I just want to encourage you one more time. Don't just ignore the words of Jesus. There is this tension that exists between our God and our greed. No one can serve two masters. You will either devote yourself to one and intentionally or not despise the other. 
So who will you be devoted to? And maybe, maybe you're in it right now where you feel like you've been wrestling with this. Maybe it's been made clear this morning. Maybe it's, you've gone through season after season. And it's like up and down. Would you take a moment right now? Would you just confess that to God? Would you say, God, I want to worship you. Lord, you're the one who provides for me. God, I don't want to be held captive by my greed. But Lord, I want to be fixated on your grace. Will you just confess that to him right now?